sometimes you have to learn when you're a host of a show like this not to ask leading questions you don't expect certain answers to be, uh, be given to, like this. Well, I'm going to bait you into something here, uh, but uh, it's <laughs> at the expense of this guy down here. Uh, you know, a lot of people that watch the show this late in the season really don't know who James is and don't know, uh, you know, where he came from before the show. Uh, we always joke around that he kind of latched on to us in our first couple seasons and we couldn't get rid of him. And so that's how he became the co-host of the Pretty show. Much. Yeah. But, you know, during your time at Hobart, you crossed paths with him in terms of uh, the stuff he was starting to do back in the early 2000s for uh, Hobart. Uh, he stayed very well attached to the players and the future coaches like you, Kevin DeWall, et cetera. But please, for the folks that don't know JB, because he can't travel to the games like I can, explain what he means to Hobart and to uh, Hobart grads that have gone on so that they fully get the picture of what James Baker is. It's hard to put into words exactly yeah. what it is. Um, He's probably like, I don't even know who, who this guy is. <laughs> I've never heard of him before today. <laughs> as you're driving down Route 20 and up Route 14 along Seneca Lake, there's a sign that says Geneva, New York, Lake Trout, capital of the world, and home to James Baker. That's, I mean, that's the only way I can explain it. Yeah, right. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> You're right about these guys, JB. They are something else. Uh, Some of our guys are we're, we're funny. Would, would you like, would you like <laughs> to amend or revise at all? Yeah, who knows? Would, uh, would you like to amend? Something. My, uh, and just so everybody, this is, um, a terrible look for me. Uh, this is a playoff beard. So we started that uh, last year. And then so after the Moravian game, I haven't shaved. Usually I'm clean shaven. Um, but when you get into the playoffs, it's colder outside. Yeah, so we've got we've got a little bit of playoff growth going. My wife hates it. Everybody hates it. But it's um, it looks better. It looks better than Allie's. I saw I saw him after the Cardinals game and I was busting his chops. And even his, his younger sister, Zaina, was like, oh, God, that beard. I just tell him, hey, it's, you're just lucky that you have a job where you don't need to shave or get a haircut to go to work. And he's like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's probably, it probably took him three years to grow the beard, if I know, Ali. You know, we did find that sign with uh, Coach Milne's help, JB, uh, the one that he pointed out. And yes. lo and behold, it, it's actually accurate. Uh, you can see in the screen right now that um, it's, uh, you know, <laughs> home of uh, jb basically it's unbelievable great job there uh guys i didn't know you were such a dignitary of geneva new york uh i had a nice run there for a little while in the 90s but uh i don't I think the only time i'm welcome back now is for maybe a reunion or a football game and even then some people there are like who could i don't know about this baker guy we'll see well, we don't know about him either, and we've had dealt with him for 12 seasons on yeah. this show in some form or another. But, you know, look, JB, it's better to be hated than not known at all, is my view of, in life. At, at least that means you're known. They have left a mark somewhere in this world. That, at least that's what I try to do. I'm sure my friends at D3Football.com completely dis disagree with me, my approach in life like that. Either way, guess what? It's time for our second episode of the week. This time, we're going through the tale of the tape of all four quarterfinals here on In the Huddle.
JB, uh, we're recutting the uh, beginning of our show here uh, after the credits because uh, we got a piece of news on Tuesday night uh, from a couple people that kind of spilled the beans to us that a very special coach is uh, going into retirement mode. It was officially announced earlier today, Wednesday is when we were uh, releasing the show. Uh, head coach of Cortland, Dan McNeil, has announced his retirement after 23 seasons. And without further ado, uh, we are going to introduce him here. Coach, thanks for joining us. And why are you leaving us, man? Why are you leaving us? You look like you're healthy as can be right there right now. Yeah. Uh, well, looks can be deceiving, but, uh, you know, it's just time. Uh, you you, you want to make sure in this business sometimes, you know, or at least I do, want to make sure I didn't stay too long. And, uh, and I don't want to give limited service. Uh, these kids deserve unlimited. And uh, I've had a couple of back surgeries and the symptoms are kind of crawling back in a little bit. And, and but that's not the only reason. Certainly, uh, 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 but it's time for this old coach to go. Well, it's gonna be tough uh, to coach, lose you. Yeah. Can come down here to Florida and uh, you know play some golf, or are you going to South Carolina? It seems like all the coaches that we know that have retired over the last few seasons, all, all they all end up going to like South Carolina to play golf. Maybe with a bad back, you know, your your backswing isn't what it used to be. But I mean, what what are your some of your plans now that uh, that you know retirement's calling you? Well, my wife has a tremendous affinity for those sands of uh, Florida. So uh, I'm sure we'll be spending some time in warmer weather when you get a chance. But uh, to be candid with you, the, the school, I, I still have uh, a, a, a merit, I think, in terms of being able to deliver some wisdom. And our school here has a physical education and a sport management and an exercise uh, science with a major in coaching. And so... Uh, along with some maybe some fundraising, there's still a, a spot and, and, and some service that I can uh, render for the school. So we'll we'll look at it and in in, in it's being constructed in a uh, more of a scaled down uh, halftime manner. And and so I'm looking forward to that challenge and helping serve the school and uh, that's been so good to me. Coach, how old are you? If you don't mind me asking, I'll be 63 this year. Yeah, you still have the vim and vigor of a 43-year-old. Trust me, I am one. Uh, yeah, but, yeah. you know, the season didn't end necessarily the way that she would have uh, wanted it to. I mean, you guys were highly competitive in the uh, MetLife game, obviously, the Cortica game this year. Uh, you know, there were ups and downs for both you and Ithaca uh, at the end of this season, uh, to be sure. Uh, but, I mean, this Cortland team... Uh, it seemed to be special to you. Brett Segala uh, was a heck of a quarterback uh, in you know ending his career and whatnot. Why did you I, you explain some of your health issues that might be creeping back in and it's time. I get that. But what told you this was the time, this was the team you wanted to end with? When did you wake up and say, yeah, that's it? You know, it, it, that those kind of decisions, with me at least, kind of percolated over time. I knew... Uh, pretty definitively back in spring that, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not sure I, I want to go through that entire build again. Uh, I've been blessed with uh, a lot of good teams and good culture and good chemistry here. I knew we had a good team coming uh, up this year. There was, you know, a letting uh, the year before of a lot of defensive players. So, you know, it's, it's, it, you can never forecast. But uh, really, really was in, thoroughly enjoying this group uh, of young men as we closed out spring. Uh, and then that kind of launched right into fall. But I already had in the back of my mind that, uh, you know, this was probably going to be the last uh, season. I told the kids 
that it, you know it, do, it doesn't come up on you just uh, uh, like that. It, it, it's something that certainly percolates. And and I did not want to announce a final season, you know, because then it would have been about me. And I've never it's never been about me here. Uh, I get that you know it's different circumstances, maybe in different places, and and but I decided that uh, I would uh, give them my best version of myself and uh, uh, remember the, the the words from Tubby Raymond, a, a colleague at, at Delaware, head coach at Delaware one time, and I asked him, and I said, you know, what do you think about retirement? And he says, you know, Dan, I don't think about it because as soon as you do, you're done, you know. And so I, I don't think that's, I think it's impossible to uh, not think about it, but I wanted to make sure that none of those, uh, uh, none of those inclinations were appearing in, in the manner of the way I was coaching. So, uh, and I want to make sure I didn't stay too long. So it was just the right time, just the right time for this coach. Well, coach, you mentioned the, you, know, you mentioned the kids and I imagine it's probably like trying to pick like who is your favorite kid, but uh, you know, looking back on the 23 seasons, are there any uh, teams, you know, special players that sort of stand out to you as some of like the old time, you know, Red Dragon greats, or is it just, you know, just too many to choose from there? And it's like, you know, you can't really pick favorites because they're all unique in their own way. Yeah, you know, it, comparisons kind of suck the energy out of, uh, you know, uh, 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 th that kind of a thing because there's just so much that goes into being a head football coach and all the relationships uh, over the years and, and, and young men come along in groups, you know what I mean? Uh, uh, but there's no question uh, you have some young men that, uh, that come to mind and, and, and that were, were special in, in their existence here. And maybe because of their existence, everybody played better, you know, and uh, I had great relationships with this team overall. I really did. And, and, and that was uh, all the way down from the, the leadership that uh, the kids voted on to, to, to uh, you know, the freshmen that came in and embraced this place, the ones that uh, obviously make it through. And, and not everybody makes it through. There are a lot of people drawn to the Dragon, but not everybody can stay on for that ride. And, and, and the, the cherished memories are, are those that finish. And, and of the kids that I visited with yesterday at, uh, at that team meeting, you know, those kids that finished, it, uh, it was just another year, another great build. Uh, another dragon uh, with uh, uh, that was collecting its tail, you know, and, and the seniors moving on, and the next one's ready to start. And so the best timing for that is right now, uh, with regards to allowing that dragon to build without, uh, you know, with, with knowing that I wasn't going to be there for that first game. Coach, anybody that's coached twenty three seasons with the success that you've had, and as you see in the screen, uh, your record is. A highly successful one. You end up with a coaching tree, uh, and you know some coaches don't ever get to see it. Uh, Duke Donnelly, for instance, unfortunately passed away before he could really get to see. Uh, I think the heart of his uh, coaching tree. Although there were some uh, coaches out there uh, that he got to see, uh, you know, impress him along the way. You, uh, there is one coach which has a uh, common bond with you, uh, with uh, Coach Donnelly. Ultimately, uh, that's come through. It's still in the playoffs right now. He's actually uh, later on in our show. We have an interview with uh, him. Uh, Nate Milne uh, down in Muhlenberg is uh, one of those guys. Tell us about what you feel toward the coaches that have come through and uh, guys like Nate that are absolutely impressing the world right now, especially in Division Three. And I tell you this. There's nothing better than uh, uh, 
somebody that has fed and developed a red dragon. There's really nothing better. The, the commitment that at my behest and 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 that kind of service. And and Nate was certainly one of those guys. I still remember when Nate was at. Uh, uh, for me, obviously, he was a great assistant and offensive line coach here uh, after being a great player at Hobart. Uh, and then he made his way down to his first uh, paying job, right, uh, at, at Susquehanna. And things were, were going sour there. And Duke Donnelly needed an offensive line coach. And what an easy recommendation that was. And uh, uh, and then, obviously, Duke uh, ended up hiring him. Uh, and, and what a magnificent what a magnificent record that Nate Milne has, right? I don't know if he had three losses in his entire career. I don't know. I mean, what a what a, what a great job that he's done there in, in taking Duke's program over and and continuing to make it. This is a pretty good ride that he's got going there with his team. Very very good team. So yeah, and Corey David, the defense coordinator, you know, was a player for me, and he's the defense coordinator there at Muhlenberg. And and you, you talk about connections out there in a coaching tree and. Those are just flooding in right now, and it's just fun to to read sentiment that you know I had something to do with maybe where they are or the way they 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 handle their business, and and so that's that's uh, I mean there's an abundance here that sits uh, as I talk to you today uh, with that with that reflection, and uh, I don't know that's the surprise of my retirement, I guess. Well, you talked about building a, a dragon, and I imagine the ultimate call will, will you know, come from the athletic director. But will you be involved at all in the, uh, I assume, maybe a national search for, for your replacement? Or is there somebody kind of waiting in the wings that you're going to hand the, the dragon baton off to, I guess, for lack of better terms? Well, my long-time you know, assistant, so long assistant uh, Greg Roskus, uh, has been named uh, uh, the coach right now. Uh, uh, they're trying to figure that whole thing out. Uh, I, I'm assuming there's probably going to be a natural national search. That's just the way uh, Cortland uh, does that here in this department and, and uh, you, you, you know, in past searches for other uh, uh, coaches. And uh, so I assume that Greg is going to be a part of that. And I think uh, this is a pretty good job. And I think there's going to be a lot of strong interest uh, from uh, the coaching community and, and even the, uh, the alumni community that are out there. Uh, coaching. So um, excited to see how it kind of uh, manifests. I have no problem of, of, of certainly helping the athletic director, but, you know, I, 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 I would feel it just wouldn't be right to be on that search committee because, you know, I have tremendous biases. And, and uh, uh, so I think probably I, I'll just be there as, as a sounding board for, for Mike Gertz, who's, who's, uh, you know, been a great athletic director for me. Coach, uh, you were talking about the uh, discussion you had with the players earlier uh, this week uh, to tell them about uh, your plans. Uh, we uh, got a hold of one such player uh, who we've uh, formed a friendship with, and he wanted to send a message to you via our show. I'm sure you've talked to him this week, but he wanted to uh, publicly thank you. And uh, here he is, uh, Brett Segala. What Coach Mack has meant to me uh, these last four years, he's taught me so much, uh, not just to be a better football player, but in the long run, be a better man. Um, I can't thank him enough. In my senior speech uh, a couple weeks ago, I called him out and said, I showed up a, a boy when I got to Portland and he made me a young man. Um, and I can't thank him enough for that. It's a well-earned retirement coach. Uh, it's been 
a heck of a 23 years for you. Um, it's been an honor to play for you for the last four years. Thank you for recruiting me. Thank you for bringing me here. Um, thank you for making me a Portland Red Dragon. I can't thank you enough. Um, enjoy retirement. I'm sure I'll see you down the road. And all hail King Dragon. How's that make you feel? Pretty special and abundance. No question about it. And uh, uh, Brett's a special guy, and uh, you know uh, it, it's neat when everything kind of works out, and, the, and it happens a lot in this business where uh, everybody works towards each other and and and, and forms great rela great relationships. And so uh, his is one that I cherish as long as a lot of other his uh, uh, his teammates. Uh, all across the board. Are you a golfer? Are you, uh, I mean, what, aside from the fact you're still going to be teaching and helping out at a court and whatnot, what are your hobbies out there? I, I, I Going to retirement, you got to have something to latch on to. So what's your uh, your vice of uh, retirement going to be necessarily? Well, I, you know, I, no question. I uh, My wife and I happened to own a lake house on one of the Finger Lakes. And so we'll look for spending a little bit more time there, more weekends. The, uh, like I had mentioned to you, the, the university has uh, offered me uh, uh, an opportunity to, to still fulfill a passion of delivering my wisdom to maybe some future coaches in a, in a, in a classroom, uh, be it a football clinic class or a foundations of coaching or, or, or intercollegiate business and sport management. And I also think that uh, engaging with uh, the alums, the, the time that I've been here, uh, with, with maybe giving back and doing some fundraising to embellish the, uh, the athletic program, but certainly, uh, you know, from, from, from my point being a, uh, an emphasis from the football is, is something I'm looking forward to do. So uh, a little bit of this and a little bit of that. I, I, I like the idea of being around young people and, and the vitality that, that that's all about. Am I a golfer? I'll golf, but you know, it, it, I get out there and it feels like I'm wasting time. You know, uh, so uh, a lot of other different things to have. So maybe I gotta get more used to that. But I'm not a fisherman. I'm not a golfer, but love being at the lake house and putting around. And and uh, there'll, there'll be enough things to do. My wife has got a long list of uh, things to get done around the house and and, and whatnot. And, and I think I've still got enough help to get that stuff done. So I'm looking forward to a, a number of things. And we'll find our way. Yeah. Well, that's the great thing about coaching, isn't it? It's, it, it? At the end of the day, I mean, it's great to win. It's great to be competitive. But you're you're kind of a teacher at heart, right? And and if you've been coaching for 23 seasons, just the you know the quick math. If you if you assume a football roster has around 100 kids on it, that's over 2,000 um, young men that you've helped uh, educate and teach over these last 23 seasons. And I'm sure a lot of them will be thrilled to hear from you um, in, in this new role and, and where you're outreaching and, and you know, keeping that, that teaching philosophy going up there at Cortland. Yeah, looking forward to it. And I got a daughter at Virginia Tech and she can't wait to get her old man down to a, a hokey football game. So, you know, there, there's enough things to, uh, there's enough things to do and, and things I got to, uh, take advantage of now that I have a little bit of extra time on my hand and and I'm looking forward to that adventure. You're going out the same season that Coach George from Coast Guard is going out uh, and uh, we asked him uh, a question essentially I'm going to ask you the same question as we close out here. You've been a successful coach for 23 seasons but you stayed in Division 3. Why D3 coach? Yeah I uh, um you know, you mentioned Billy George. 
Billy and I worked at Ithaca together um, as as two young coaches. And when he retired, I emailed him and I said, you know, Billy, I still remember sitting at the State Street Giant Diner in Ithaca, New York, two two young coaches and wondering where where would we end up, you know, and, and obviously legacies of, of Jim Butterfield. And, and uh, uh, then we both went our separate ways, you know, Billy climbed into Ohio State and I uh, went into uh, uh, back to high school and into to Villanova University and thrived there. Really loved it, and but it just you know the the uh, uh, what was taking place with a lot of my my friends, you know, really wasn't fitting into the lifestyle that I really wanted to have. I really wanted to be my own head coach, and uh, um, the, the level that kind of came up was my alma mater who came calling. And uh, it just seemed the right thing at the right time. And, and, and thank God I didn't get in my own way and, and took this job and, and really, really uh, relished uh, the 23 years. And, you know, you get here as a young coach 23 years ago, and I said, well, you know, I'll make my, make my uh, mark and then move on. And, and as you stay here, you really, truly find out that, uh, that, that, that this is truly a special place. Uh, and, uh, you know, you could really screw this thing up by, uh, uh, um, uh, it, 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 and so I was very careful. And so really never really pursued any job opportunities uh, in the long run. Final word will be yours in terms of, uh, we normally give uh, student athletes shout outs here, but uh, coaches haven't joined us before. And in the case of uh, retirements, we offer it to you as well. Anybody want to give any shout outs to as we close out? Yeah, all those red dragons out there. And I thoroughly, I, I tell you, as I as I put in my announcement, I will miss the process. There's no question about it. And 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 in the process of uh, of developing, you know, some some real uh, resilient, uh, anti-fragile culture. You know, and, and and that's not easy to do. And and uh, uh, you got to get guys that are willing to accept that problems are good and that everything counts. And that they're actually the solution, and, and, and to watch that manifest and, and bring about it's really been a, a, just a true pleasure. And, and all those people then that have helped this uh, uh, this coach help serve a bunch of red dragons, you know, it, it's just neat. And so, as is with every dragon, you got your tail, right? And so I'll collect my tail as many ever have, and, and have a great reflection of it. And, and uh, but uh, that would be the shout out to anybody certainly that has helped me. Thank you. Uh, much appreciated, and, and uh, obviously uh, to Red Dragon Nation here, right? Dragons can be uh, very docile uh, creatures until you uh, you know turn them on and turn up the heat on them. You are a dragon through and through. We've seen you on the field when things haven't gone quite your way. You've been the epitome of a coach, uh, no doubt out there, uh, breathing a little bit of fire in the direction of your team to get them to uh, react, and they have reacted many, many times for you. Coach, you're going to be missed, and, uh, you know, we want you to enjoy your retirement, that's for sure, because you've earned it, and your wife has earned it as well, uh, in terms of uh, <laughs> the sacrifices she's made along the way uh, with you being a coach. Thank you so much for everything you've provided us in Division Three over the years, and good luck with everything. Thanks, guys. Thanks for featuring me. I appreciate it.
you know what we're going to do here, but we're going to do it with a couple of interviews to go with. Uh, since we've lost all of our Maryland fans uh, this week, it's, uh, most likely after our uh, open uh, show number one of the week, we're going to go to Pennsylvania for some interviews, um, specifically to Muhlenberg and to Delaware Valley. Coach interview from Muhlenberg, player interview from uh, Delaware Valley coming up. We'll tell you about those as we hit those. Uh, but, uh, JB... You put together these tales of the tape, and now that we've brought in uh, basically other teams from outside the East, so, certain things yep. seem a little bit different in some of these numbers I've already noticed. Without kind of giving everything away here, what are, what are you seeing or what did you see when you assembled all this? Well, the biggest thing that stands out, Frank, is that the, the Midwestern and I guess you can say Texas teams uh, really have won in, in lopsided fashion. Uh, I mean, their point differential is is ridiculously uh, high. Uh, you see, in the case of the defending champs, their turnover margin is ridiculously high. Um, but otherwise, there are some similarities, um, some pretty high potent offenses. I mean, I think the lowest amount of, of yards gained out of, out of this group is um, is Whitewater with just over 375 yards per game. Um, so here we go that's again. A, if that's if that's the low if that's the low end 375, you know the we have several teams that are going over 500 a game. So something's going to give here at this stage in the playoffs. We really will get to see. Um, all of these teams, which ironically um, ended up in the, the top, I think, nine or, or ten of the D3Football.com top 25. Um, so voters like you and others that are out there seem to have nailed it on this case. You've got, you know, number three – or sorry, number seven against number two, number eight against number three, number four against six. You got nine against five. Um, really, the, the, the creme of the creme of, of D3 has really risen um, here, and so it should be a great – around to sort of see how things separate and, and who the ultimate semifinalists will be uh, going into the following weekend. Like our first show of the week, we're going to go counterclockwise, starting with the upper left and cover the games that we have here. We're going to start with uh, number seven versus number two, as you pointed out, UW-Whitewater at Mary Harden-Baylor. And we look at this tail of the tape, and it's 11-1 Whitewater versus 12-0 Mary Harden-Baylor. The playoff history for both teams is astoundingly great, and that's a uh, thing to watch here. It makes a marquee matchup, to say the least. Uh, Mary Harden-Baylor has about a 37-yard uh Plus on the offense, uh, the average total offense per game. And on defense, uh, by the way, the rush uh, balance there is identical, 191.5 on both sides. Assuming that wasn't a misprint there, so we're going to just roll with that. And uh, the defense is uh, basically Mary Harden Baylor by 61.5 yards per game uh, to their advantage compared to Whitewater. Uh, Max Mailer, uh, he's got nine passing touchdowns, two rushing touchdowns, four interceptions against Jace Hammocks, uh, 20 passing touchdowns, two rushing touchdowns, and two interceptions. But Mailer was a recent add uh, to the offense yep. of Whitewater, so that's a little deceiving. But what's not deceiving, I don't think, is his turnover margin of just plus seven for Whitewater, plus 28 for Mary Harden Baylor. And look at the point differential 42 and a half on the positive for Mary Harden Baylor versus only 15.3 for Whitewater, despite all those offensive yards that you pointed out. And this is where I get into trouble, Frank, because this is where I, you know, I, I take issue with um, the 
the ASC and the level of competition that the champs are, are going up against. Um, even their first couple of games in the playoffs, really not, um, you know, not really difficult uh, challenges, but, you know, overall, I mean, look at the balance on, on offense, you know, defense is, is, is solid and has really been, you know, carrying this team for a while. Although I mean, you can't, can you really complain with 413 yards of offense per game? And, um, you know, I just, it's one of those things where I think, I think there's, there's some misleading data on the crew side of the fence. Um, Whitewater, we know they've had a little bit of ups and downs here and there. Um, certainly, uh, Matt seemed to match up well. It'll be interesting to see if this you know, new quarterback, Mailer, can avoid what lots of teams haven't been able to, which is turning the ball over, uh, which has really led to the crew's success for most of the season. Some of the problems, though, that you run into, and I think we saw this with uh, Drew Fry uh, at Wesley, is that the complexity of what the playbook can look like for a quarterback that's injected late into the system is sometimes a little bit too basic when you go up against teams that have better defenses. And I think this is where things get a little bit problematic for Whitewater and this move. Now that he has had some games here under his belt, granted. But when you got guys like Tevin Jones who understand pro-style defenses better than anybody in this country, most likely, I think it really causes fits for Whitewater. We said it yesterday, the, the real plus for Whitewater is their defense. Even though they're giving up 290 a game, it's against the WIAC teams. And so I would say that that is, as yeah. you're saying, misleading on that side of the ledger. Uh, the, the weakness really has been the offense for Mary Harden Baylor. It's been inconsistent. Chase Hammock has looked immobile at times, and he almost has to play a game like he did, did against the, uh, Mount Union the Stag Bowl last year, I think, to really propel the offense and open up the offense in a way that will allow him to throw the ball down the field successfully. He's not going to be able to do those teardrop passes uh, with man coverage into the end zone against a team like Whitewater. It's a different defensive realm. You're going to see a lot of twists and shifts going on in that defense, a lot of shading of defenses compared to what other teams they've faced will do. And so, to me, Whitewater's numbers aren't as deceiving as what you're saying Mary Harden Baylor's numbers are, and leads me to believe this is going to be a pretty darn good contest on Saturday that could actually be lower scoring than we are maybe assuming based on prior playoff experiences this season so far. Go ahead. Yeah. The big question I have is, you know, everybody who follows this level of D3 football knows that the the motto of the Warhawks is pound the rock. And so um, they are going to, to run the ball at the Crusaders. Um, the Crusaders have done a great job stopping the run this season. That to me will really dictate um, the start of this game, how things are going to go, because if if the offensive line for the Warhawks can get some push and maybe you know get some get some first downs and, and keep the clock burning, then you know this this defense isn't used to playing on the field for very long. They they usually get three and outs, they get turnovers. Um, they're probably I, I didn't look this up, but I, I would be surprised if they play more than, than sixty plays uh, per game on defense. Probably less, probably closer to fifty, um, just because of. How strong they are and the and the teams that they played so far to date, but um, yeah, that to me is the matchup of this game: the offensive line and the ability to run the ball against what's really been a, a very solid, if not best, uh, rush defense that you'll probably see in the playoffs. Let's move forward to uh, the bottom left: St. John's at Wheaton. For as much as uh, 
you know, the numbers uh, looked interesting with uh, the pluses and minuses in the scores for and against, especially for me in that last slide. This even poses a more interesting matchup, I think, on paper, ultimately. St. John's, number eight in the country. Wheaton, number three in the country. 11-1 St. John's against 12-0 Wheaton. The offensive yards per game. 535.2 for St. John's, 486.2 for Wheaton. But the defenses are pretty good. 284.2 yeah. for St. John's could be a step better, I would say. But again, in the MIAC, things might be a little deceiving there about the competition they faced in the process of getting there. Wheaton, 195.3, including a beat the, uh, uh, beating of North Central, who had beaten Mayu. Yeah. We, we can't underscore that enough of... What does this team really have under its hood if they were able to do that and North Central was able to do what they did? Jackson Urban, 42 touchdowns against 8 interceptions. Luke Anthony, 34 touchdowns against 4 interceptions. These are two high-quality quarterbacks. I don't care what conference you're playing in. Those are great numbers. Turnover margin, though? I find this interesting. Despite those defensive numbers, yeah, it's plus eight for St. John's, plus six for Wheaton, and that's telling me that they have fumbleitis sometimes in Wheaton's side. If the, if you're looking at only four interceptions by Anthony, and you have another seventeen balls lost ultimately, so yes, they're in the plus yeah, side there, plus away. six. Yeah, they they fumbled the ball ten, uh, sorry, eight times uh, this season. I think, uh, or maybe 10. So it's maybe that's the, you know, what we heard, what we heard from some of the Salisbury fans, like that's the second and third string late in games when things are, are sort of gotten out of hand, but still, I mean, when you compare that to some of these other, you know, plus 10 or 20, you know, plus types of turnover margins, you'd expect a, a third ranked team to have a higher, uh, turnover margin there. But, you know, Frank, the, the stat that jumps out to me for Wheaton is they are, if, if you look at all these slides at the end, this is the most balanced offense in the entire field. They're, they have over 200 yards, both passing and rushing. That's not a combination that you see in any of the other offenses that are that are in uh, the tournament at this point. And the interesting thing will be, you know, can they maintain that same level of balance or will they have to rely on one side or the other to get past some of these elite teams like the Johnnies? One thing that I'm seeing Wheaton, out of the eight teams remaining, has the least points against on average at 6.8 points. And let's look at that line in its totality here because we didn't uh, on the original glance here. Uh, 27.4 differential uh, for St. John's, 41.4 for Wheaton. I got to tell you, on paper, this doesn't look like a great matchup, but the intangibles of Jackson Erdman and St. John's offense because of what they've been through the last year and a half, gives them a slight bump. I'm not going to say advantage because I would t- say that I'm it's predicting we to win. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's an X factor. It's like what we saw last year when Urban almost single-handedly, you know, just carried his team to, to a three-point loss in Texas against uh, ultimately the national champion Crusaders. I mean, he was he was unbelievable in that game. And, um, and he... He just kept fighting back and and got them within you know less than a sc- less than a score a field goal basically of of uh, either tying or, or even potentially winning that game and so his experience the abilities that he brings to the table uh, some of the size and strength of the athletes that they have across the board there honestly you know we we harp on you know or we get harped on for some of the 
you know, time of possession stuff. But yeah, this is a this is a situation where Wheaton's going to want to run the ball and keep Erdman off the field as much as they possibly can because when he's on there, he's going to look for quick scores. And I could see this game as a uh, as a shootout potentially. But when you look at the defensive you know, numbers allowed, probably not a whole lot of points. We might need to look into who are the kickers of these teams because it might come down to a field goal. Well, we know that St. John's has a problem with their kicking game. They had to change kickers midseason. They've had better success, but not perfect success in that realm because of it. One thing I will also say, though, when you bring, bring up shootout, St. John's is more used to the shootout mentality than Wheaton has been this season. And I think that if it does turn into a shootout, despite the fact of uh, the uh, points per game being about 40.2 uh, for Wheaton, uh, I would give an advantage to St. John's in a shootout scenario because I think they are more primed to win the shootout. Like you're saying, shortening the game most likely is going to be the real good idea for Wheaton. You know, be efficient in your possessions, use the run game to eat up clock, and go up by two scores that way instead of trying to, you know, do what we saw Salisbury and Union have happen uh, ultimately, where this thing just blows out to 21-21 in the first quarter, and you have to rely on just trying to outrun the other team, which is what Salisbury did to Union. You can't guarantee that's going to happen against a team like St. John's, though. And so that's going to be interesting to watch the first quarter especially. A lot of these uh, games, you know, we feel like will come down to second-half scenarios. This specific game, to me, maybe won and lost in the first quarter in terms of how the pace is set in the game. And then you'll reassess it in the third quarter yeah. to see if adjustments are made, if they can be made by that point. Let's go to the bottom right. Delaware Valley, number nine team in the nation, against number five, North Central, in Naperville, Illinois. 11-1 for both teams. Uh, the only loss for North Central was Wheaton. Uh, the only loss to Delaware Valley was Wesley, but they avenged that loss on Saturday. You look at the uh, yardage uh, differential here. North Central, 582 yards wow. a game, essentially. Uh, almost 400 for Del Val. So that, in and of itself, was a good number, 400. 581.9 for North Central. Defense allowed, though, 90 yards more by North Central. And so... There's a little bit of an imbalance there going on, but still, the North Central offense plus 190 versus defense minus 90. The math says that, mm -hmm. you know, in a shootout mentality there, North Central should be able to win a game like that. Brock Rudder, just 49 touchdowns, three interceptions. It's just an average season for him. <laughs> By the way, Brock, sorry about your morning. name on our slides on uh, our earlier show. Uh, we we both didn't catch the uh, spell check error on that one, and you were a rudder, not a rudder, uh, but you're uh, an extremely good quarterback. That's what you are. Anthony Fontana is very good, too, though, uh, with 34 touchdowns, six interceptions. He has generally been better throughout the season, or get, been getting better throughout the season. The Wesley game, he didn't need to be perfect because his defense really dominated with six turnovers in that game. It was insanely good in that game. Turnover margin, yeah. plus 9 for DelVal, plus 10 for North Central. Uh, though I will say that DelVal's had to you know, gain a lot more to just even out that stat than North Central. You know, Only 21 gained, 11 lost for North Central, whereas it's 30 and 21 for DelVal. Plus 38 points for North Central in the differential, plus 26 points for Delaware Valley. Not surprising based on the offensive uh, differential we saw. Before you give us your concepts and thoughts on this game, Let's bring in our interview from earlier. Men a few words, but men that are going to play important roles and played important roles uh, so far in games this season. Uh, we have defensive back Dante Mason 
from DelVal, and tight end Dan Allen. Not often we get a tight end on this show, but with those three touchdowns he had against Wesley, he was very, very important in that game. Let's hear from them, and then we'll talk about this game amongst ourselves. Well, JB, I think I should give you the honors here to do the first question, since you are probably the most beloved character in DelVal history uh, with some of your predictions over the last week. Granted, I uh, jumped on your bandwagon, and boy, was I wrong to do so. So go ahead, JB. You, you get the first question and or uh, a plea for apologies uh, or uh, make an apology, perhaps. Yeah, no, definitely. It's, uh, it's my bad. So, so Dante, Dan, um, just tell us, I mean, you guys look like a totally monster improved uh, team. We, we meaning certain guys out, out here kind of underestimated you. What was it about this week of practice and this game um, that really you guys seemed locked in uh, the best football you played all season? Tell us about, you know, kind of what led to uh, this big win on Saturday. Uh, basically, for us, was basically live or die. Uh, Want to go home? That wasn't a, that wasn't the standard this week. It was live or die. Live, you keep going. You die, you done. So being as though we have a lot of seniors on our team this year, it's kind of easy to lock in, like you said, and uh, kind of like focus on that goal, uh, finishing this thing all the way. Um, uh, in, in my past, we had a few seniors, and they tried to preach to the lower classmen like how important these games were. But being as though we have a lot of seniors, it's easy to kind of just all be on the same page and stay locked in at this point. Well, it worked well. Uh, Dan, your uh, numbers in the first Wesley game uh, were not nearly as good as uh, the numbers uh, this past Saturday uh, with the three touchdowns that you had this go around. What was the difference in terms of your utilization here? Were you more of a blocking tight end the first time around and uh, coach kind of uh, went to you here and said, let's let's go at it a little bit more in terms of the receiving end of things uh, this go around? What, what changed or uh, what, you know, why the sudden change in the stats there on your end? Well, we've seen uh, missed opportunities in the first game and kind of uh, had the chance to capitalize on them in the second game. Uh, uh, we just took what, we took what they gave us and we played our game. And that the, the game plan uh, showed loopholes where uh, I was able to be targeted uh, more and we just executed uh, better. We're more of a team this time around. So it was kind of hard for uh, other teams to kind of focus on just one player. And I guess this time more, more things opened up on mine. <laughs> Dante, for you as a, a defensive back, was really not having a whole lot of tape on this uh, on this freshman quarterback a, a challenge, or was it one of these? I get to play against a freshman quarterback, and I, you know, get to get an interception here, or what you did. Um, what What are some of the pros and cons as a secondary player going up against a QB where there isn't a whole lot of tape on him, other than I mean, he looked like a you know an All American against Framingham State, but obviously it's a different story against your defense. What was it like preparing for kind of a bit of an unknown uh, with this new QB for Wesley? Uh, we just used our experience in chemistry as our advantage, disguising, uh, showing different things to just confuse the young quarterback because because he wasn't used to different disguises and different uh, messing around in the back end on our end. It just showed different coverages, confused his eyes. 
Well, it uh, worked pretty well, uh, no doubt about it. And, and it seemed like uh, whenever they were trying to respond to that game, you guys would just beat them on back, uh, especially with that touchdown and then the uh, fumble recovery for touchdown on the ensuing kickoff there that uh, really led things to roll your way in the second half. But during the second half, or right after the second half, uh, there was a developing situation elsewhere in the country. When you heard that Mount Union lost to North Central, what was your reaction? I mean, you probably assumed going into the day, if you won, that would be the next game, uh, Mount Union, and then you know who, who knows what would happen from there, obviously. What was your reaction, Dante, when you heard uh, the news that day? Uh, honestly, we got another game to play. It wasn't a really big reaction. The reaction for all of us was we got another game to compete and just to be legendary. Dan, you're a senior, though. I mean, there, there's got to be a little bit more history uh, in the back of your head about what my union losing in the second round meant at the end of the day. What was your view of it when you heard? Absolutely. Uh... And this is like my honest answer is I've never really uh, paid attention to other teams like that we that weren't on our schedule. Like I never looked ahead and looked at other teams that weren't on our schedule. My mom said always oh, put a team in front of me. So uh, them losing really didn't affect me no type of way. I just know we have North Central next and just getting ready to prepare for this game. Dan, one thing as a senior is that you probably mostly played uh, playoff games at home. Uh, and this year, you guys have been sort of the, the embracing this role of the road dogs. And you're once again going on the road up to Naperville, Illinois, just outside of Chicago. Um, what's it, what are some of the differences to being you know, the, the road team versus having a home game in the playoffs? Or is it really just, you know, you guys are just going to play football wherever? The thing about this team is we, we adjust good. So... We find we find a positive, and every week we find a positive. So right now we joke with the team joke about uh, we get we get a chance to have another hotel room. So we just we just going along. We we just enjoying the journeys, uh, enjoying the plate, the, the the hotel rooms, and we we just we're just living in the moment right now. Is is the personality of this team is just to adapt, adjust, and and go win. Your uh, radio play-by-play uh, -play guy or internet audio play-by-play uh, -play guy, uh, Gordon Mann, is a good friend, and uh, he was telling us kind of that that is the uh, overall team mentality, which uh, I find impressive because uh, there would be a lot to be upset about, we feel, uh, in terms of your treatment in how you were ranked versus how you're being seated uh, in that quadrant. So uh, great job by you guys to kind of take that approach to it. Let's talk about the team, though, that you have in front of you, North Central. Dante, you see this Brock Rudder guy, uh, he has phenomenal numbers, obviously, against Mount Union uh, last weekend. He's been a phenomenal quarterback throughout his career. What do you see, without giving away the, uh, the you know family secrets on this one, in terms of are there weaknesses in that game, and what can DelVal do to maybe exploit it defensively? Uh, basically, just to play our game, stay true to coverages. Uh, basically, trust your eyes, trust your reads. Uh, go back to camp, your responsibilities, your alignments. Focus on the things you learned day one to please improve your game. Dan, uh, let's flip the question uh, on offense. Uh, you know, North Central's defense had a tough time against. 
the uh, Mount Union team, but who hasn't had uh, trouble against uh, their offense uh, throughout the season. So, uh, you know, do you see opportunities in a game where you're, you're again, you're coming in as a road dog, uh, whether you guys want to believe that yourselves or not, others are going to probably uh, cast that on you guys. What are you seeing in terms of their defense ultimately that's exploitable or that you think forms good matchups for a guy like you with your uh, size? Um, definitely, we're going to play to our strengths, and uh, the main thing this week for us is just to execute. Um, I feel like the last few weeks of the season, our offense has been getting stronger, and it's not uh, just specifically me. It's with our whole receiving core and uh, running backs and over line. So our main thing is just to execute, and things will open up. This week. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like they're not giving away any secrets here. Right? That coach probably told them, you're going to talk to us in the huddle, guys. Uh, you know, don't, don't, don't tell them anything that's useful uh, to the other side, which is fine. I can't blame you guys one bit. You, it's our job. It's your job at the end of the day. JB, what do you got? Well, you know, it's interesting because, you know, having put together some of these, uh, you know, tail of the tape uh, slides, Frank, the, the Cardinals are given over 200 uh, passing yards a game. They're, they're tough against the run. It's funny that actually Del Val's defense is giving up 90 less yards a game. So in certain ways, Dan, just, you know, keep you know, practicing against this, this uh, defense and, and Dante and you should be in good shape because at least on paper, um, the matchup looks pretty good there. We'll see. Definitely. Our guys definitely give us a challenge every week in practice. Definitely, definitely iron sharpens iron. And that's the mentality we, we have here at the well, guys, uh, it, whether uh, you had the historical uh, context of it or not, the idea here that uh, an East team can go to the uh, championship possibly uh, without having to face down Mount Union, this is uh, unheard of uh, in our time involved with Division Three. Uh, there's a real opportunity out there. Why not Del Val? It should be probably the mentality at this point. It seems like you guys have been playing with that mentality. Uh, and uh, I'm excited to see what the results are uh, this weekend. Uh, they were a giant killer, but they haven't met a team like Del Val yet either, and we'll see how this goes. We give you guys a chance for shout-outs, any family, friends, teammates, or whomever may be viewing uh, this video. Dante, we're going to start with you. Uh, any shout-outs that you have, and then we'll, uh, we'll uh, let the senior go second on this one. So go ahead, Dante. Uh, just shout-out to all the players that we play with for giving me 100% every play practice. Uh, shout out to all the coaches for trusting the players and just having our backs each and every play. Uh, shout out to family and fans that everybody support us and come to the game. That's pretty much it. Hey, that's great. And uh, Dan, your turn. It's time for the senior to show me even a, a better version of shout outs here. Right? It's tough to top that, though. He did a great job. Definitely want to shout out uh, all the family and friends. Um, and most, most importantly, the room. We shut out the room. And us at Delva, we, we say for the room. So that's everybody involved in our whole organization who helped us succeed. Awesome. I, I, and I, that we always uh, hear from uh, players when they do shout outs that uh, somebody gets mad that they forget somebody or, or something like that. That's a great way to handle it, basically, because there's the athletic training staff, there's That's the right. SIDs, there's the coaches, there's the families, there's the, everybody involved. When you go this deep in a playoff run, people lose perspective of how many people really are involved to keep you guys running as a unit there. And Understood. I know at Del Val, it is huge, uh, that room, as you called it. So well done there. Guys, 
Good luck this weekend. I uh, represent the East Region well because remember we are a re East Region show even though we start to branch out a little bit right now and uh, maybe we get to see you next week in the semifinals. I'm going to travel to wherever it is on this side of the bracket and I would love to see you guys up close and personal uh, this season. So good luck to you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Again, Del Val's Dante Mason and uh, just, you know, he's, he's done, well, no, I was going to uh, go one by one, but yes, Dante Mason uh, with, uh, you know, the defense out there uh, as a junior is doing a great job uh, helping to, you know, anchor down that off or that defense against some really good offenses uh, that we've seen, the Stevensons of the world, the Wesleys of the world, et cetera, uh, that we've seen. Mm -hmm. Don't forget, in the first Wesley game, Wesley didn't really score much in the first three and a half quarters of play. That, that was like a 3-3 yeah. three, three game for how long, whatever it was. Yep. Yeah, so it was crazy. don't lose sight of the fact that they held them down in that first game, that four-overtime game. Then offensively, Dan Allen, as you're talking, uh, the senior tight end uh, has just seemed to get better as the last few games have gone along as well. He's 300 yards more than last year uh, receiving, and those three touchdowns against Wesley proved just to be – Real thorns. Some teams, when they aren't used to good tight end play, can't stop the tight end. And you wonder how North Central is going to adjust to that now that they have to see that on film in terms of Dean Allen. Your turn. What do you think about this game? Well, I mean, I think this is one of those games that will bode well for the Aggies if they can keep this uh, high-powered offense in check. And, and, you know, if it doesn't turn into a deficit early on um, and they, they make some good decisions, uh, with just controlling the ball, uh, running running um, Nigro and, and trying to, to get some push with that uh, offensive line, then it should be a, it should be a good matchup. You just can't let um, you know Rudder sit back there and and pick you apart. So it's going to be on the Aggies defensive line um, to to try to get in his face, create some issues. Guys like Mason to disguise coverages, create turnovers because that's really where Del Val has made hay this season. Um, has been off the defense and really you know, keeping uh, the other offense is, is potent, but it's not super high scoring. It can it can you know, gain yards, it can turn up clock and, and what have you, uh, but they're not going to put up 55 points um, against a team of this caliber. So this is going to be one of those where they're going to need to lean on the defense to bend and not break at times and to try to, um, you know, runner doesn't make a whole lot of mistakes. I mean, three interceptions in only 12 games, uh, it's going to be a challenge to to catch him off guard, but if they're if the defense shows up, then they've got a chance. Let's go to the upper right hand quadrant to conclude things here. Muhlenberg, number four in the nation, at number six, Salisbury. Both teams undefeated. It's the only battle of undefeateds we have left in this uh, for some games right now. Um, Surprising, yeah. Technically, on the uh, left side, we could have one more occur later on if Mary Harden Baylor gets through and Wheaton gets through. But uh, otherwise, uh, we may have a loss uh, by the ultimate national champion uh, this season. Uh, the odds are getting better and better to have that happen. Uh, we'll see what happens. True. Uh But anyway, 12 and 0, 11 and 0. Uh, Salisbury with 476 yards uh, per game. I'm sure that was only helped by the Union game last weekend. And uh, Muhlenberg with 430 yards per game offensively. So, uh, you know, give a check mark to Salisbury on that side. Defensively, they'll give a check mark to Muhlenberg. Only 249 yards allowed versus 285 yards allowed by Salisbury. So about 36-ish yards better there uh, on that side of the ledger. Michael Nikowski, though, 
45 touchdowns, three interceptions. Jack Lanham with that pass rush balance with 24 touchdowns, two interceptions. Uh, you have to look at his fumble stats a little bit more than most quarterbacks, though, too, to see uh, how many times he's caught the ball. But he's usually pretty efficient even in that stat as well. So I will tell you that Jack Lanham's numbers are pretty efficient and secure uh, as well as a sophomore. Turnover margin, plus 10 Muhlenberg, plus 2 Salisbury. But again, the efficiency of it all says that Salisbury hasn't had to chase its own uh, turnovers uh, to make that number balance out to plus 2, uh, whereas Muhlenberg has lost 12 in game 22. Still, check Mark Muhlenberg there. The point differential is uh, almost uh, identical, 31.8 versus 32.4. Uh, Muhlenberg only giving up a little less than 10 points a game. Salisbury giving up a little less than 19 points a game. But again, the Union game really skewed some stats there. As if you factor in 41 points into uh, 11 games, that's essentially 3.8 points per game, or give or take, 3.7 points per game added by that game alone. Uh, so, JB, again, before we go here, Let's talk to Nate Milne about how do you stop the Salisbury team, especially when you're not used to the triple option or the spread option, whatever you want to call it. It's an option that he is not used to seeing. Take it away. All right, Coach. Well, I think first off, we need to sort of set the precedent here that before uh, there was a guy named Nally Marpet at Hobart College, there was another starting left tackle under Coach Craig who sort of set the standard for all future statesmen uh, going forward, were you in fact the starting left tackle for the 2002 Hobart Statesman? Uh, I think I started at right tackle. I played both sides of the offensive line, and I jokingly tell my friends that I was the second best offensive lineman to play at Hobart besides Allie. And then they tell me that Alex Bell got a tryout with the New York Giants, and Alex and I are really good friends. And I tell them I had to tell Alex what to do on every single play. So without me, Alex wouldn't have been who he was. Um, so, you know, and afterwards, I know Mark Garvey is, is on the Hobart staff there now, and he was pretty good. And so I think at the time I could say that, and now as the years have gone by, I think I've slowly faded into the abyss uh, at Hobart. My pictures are down. Um, I walk on campus and my big donations are nowhere to be found. So it's, um, it's been a fall from grace. So listen, I, I, I want to help you make, uh, make you feel at home here a little bit. And, you know, Brian Bubna, we know, uh, was a teammate of yours essentially, uh, from discussing things, uh, during the MIT game leading up to it. So, you know, with Bubna, it was always, or it has been for a while about the Kit Kat now and the Dunkin' Donuts. So I've got this ready to go. Bubna, eat your heart out. Because if you had won the game, I would have brought this to you. Anyway, um, what was that like? Let's go back two games. Usually we go back one, but let's go back two games. What was it like coaching against them? He says you guys actually did talk that week, which I found strange because in you know the coaching ranks, usually it's like that brick wall between you during game week when you know the other coach. But it sounds like you guys talked and BSed a little bit, and uh, you know then you kind of handed it to him uh, on that Saturday in his team. But how, how did that week feel for you? It was, it was nice because there was that familiarity. Um, Brian is a, a great coach and obviously a good friend of mine. And so we connected on, believe it or not, just a, a number of different things, just about all the things about traveling. And sometimes you 
if you don't know somebody, it's hard to reach out to them. And so we had a couple of media requests, obviously, with he and I being teammates. And so it was just connecting with that. And then we said a couple of jokes back and forth. And then obviously where they wanted to eat and what they would recommend. So it really, we knew that it, it wasn't going to be about X's and O's. And I wasn't going to ask him if his, his D tackle was hurt or, or his quarterback or anybody like that. Um, so you keep it professional in, in that regard. Um, but anytime somebody reaches out, uh, again, I think most people who know my personality, they'll, they'll realize that if somebody calls, I'm going to answer. If somebody needs something, I'll look to help them out, and, and especially if it's a, a former teammate. Well, Coach, uh, the, you know, maybe the, the memories of the, the purple and, and, uh, and orange are fading, but you're certainly making a name for yourself with the with – is it the maroon or crimson of, of Muhlenberg? Maybe just plain old red, but um, there you go. The garnet. Uh, um, you know, historical performances so i mean zero points allowed in the playoffs uh so far um what's going on with this defense and and uh you know how are you guys going to keep this uh, this train rolling well certainly it was um in motion for a number of years as you guys know coach donnelly did a wonderful job and spent a lot of time putting the best athletes that we could recruit on the defensive side of the ball. And that's kind of the way we look at it is when they get here, we'll test them out. Can they play defense? Do they have that intestinal fortitude to tackle somebody? And then certainly uh, philosophy has not changed from there. And then Coach David and our defensive staff have just done a marvelous job this entire year. I think they may have been underrated a little bit. I know they're top 10 in a bunch of categories, but, you know, Susquehanna knows us in and out. And John Hopkins knows us in and out. And the very best teams in the Centennial Conference know our personnel and know a little bit more about our scheme. And so I think these past couple of weeks, when you only get three games on us and you don't really have a good feel for who we are, especially the last couple of games, when I think they were only out there for 52 plays, something against Moravian, and 56 plays against uh, MIT, that's really hard to kind of figure them out. And then especially in both those games where we weren't playing our starters in the fourth quarter, now you're talking, you know, 40-some plays to break down. Um, that's really, really hard for an opponent. So I think we have a little bit of element of surprise. And then um, our defensive staff has just uh, done a really, really good job keeping our players healthy all year, rotating our football players. And then probably the most important factor is we have really good football players uh, on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. <laughs> um, Frankie, Frankie Feaster's a really, really good player. Mickey Cobra's a really good player. John Washington's a really good player. You can go up and down uh, on the defensive side of the ball. And even guys, even guys who don't start are making plays for us um, all over the football field. Um, and so competition level is through the roof every day in practice. Um, and guys who were named Player of the Week last week against MIT, it was Pat Palmer with the interception. And Pat's not even a starter for us, uh, and, and he was our Player of the Week. And so anytime you can have that kind of depth has been key for our success. So, Coach, um, you know, I, I want to talk about Duke. Uh, you mentioned him in a, in a little bit. Uh, we will get there. Uh, but, 
you know, Pat and Keith on the ATN podcast on Monday uh, sort of brought up the idea, well, if Union College uh, has uh, seen the uh, triple option this season and uh, gave up, you know, how many points to it still, uh, 62 to be specific on Saturday, how does a team that might not be as familiar with it adjust like Muhlenberg? Now, I, I don't believe, but correct me if I'm wrong, in your schedule you had any triple option teams this season. Is that correct? Okay, so uh, how, do you, how do you stop this team when a team like Union, who's got a good defense, we know that from this season, uh, gave up 62 to them. And granted, it's not a pure triple option. It's a spread option with the triple component to it, essentially. But, I mean, how do you slow this thing down in a way that will allow your team to win? Because so far, zero points, as JB pointed out. But can that continue against a team like this? I'll let you guys know on Friday or Saturday. Um, <laughs> at, at this point, we're still breaking down all the film at this point. Our defensive staff is in there. We're making phone calls to anybody who's played against the triple and had any success against it. Um, and we'll just have to play as disciplined as possible and wrap up, maintain our leverage. Um, but it certainly is going to be a challenge. There's certainly... Um, playing at a really, really high level right now. Um, and so I'm excited. Our players have um, really, we talk to our players <clears throat> that we don't rise to the occasion. We sink to the level of our training. And so we've done a really good job uh, training this year uh, with our players. And so we'll have some install meetings uh, with our guys and maybe we'll have a little bit different look in practice. Uh, but nonetheless, the effort will be there. And these guys will train really, really hard. Uh, Mike Sarazulo and Mike Toop on the phone for you, Coach, after you're done with this interview, okay? <laughs> well, anybody who wants to call, any, any, we'll, we'll pick up the call on anybody who knows how to stop the triple. Uh, and I know Coach Toop was, uh, ran it for, for 100 years there at Merch Marine. And so if they want to come over, we've got uh, – I've got uh, – uh, my wife makes meals on Tuesdays for our staff. So if Toop will come over for one meal, you know, he could join the mule staff for, for a week. And we'll, we'll issue that challenge to him uh, before this airs because this will be uh, on a Wednesday, but we'll get him in on a Tuesday if he can. JB, you're up. Well, speaking of that that sort of family dinner, family style um, environment in Allentown, uh, uh, Joe Sager, who, like me, lives down here in Florida, I believe, um, wrote a nice story about some of the kids on your team, Coach, um, like uh, Max and Spencer Kieran, who were um, who are brothers on the team, uh, I think Max is one of your co-captains, and then there's also you mentioned earlier, um, I think Frankie Feaster. There's a John Feaster also apparently, who's also an All-Conference cornerback, um, plus uh, Cresta, uh, who's one of your senior nose tackles, who's the younger brother of a former All-Conference receiver, and Phil Cresta. You kind of got like this uh, multi you know, brotherhood, you know, generational thing going on at, at Muhlenberg. And um, is that just, just sort of the luck of the draw? Was there something just happened with recruiting that it clicked that these families just kept, you know, sending their sons up to play for the mules? I think it helps. We also have the, the uh, uh, Matt and Rob Giuliano. Uh, they weren't in there. They're both uh, young guys for us, and uh, they were a little bit banged up. Um, but they were kind of left out in that article. Um, they featured it on a whole bunch of guys who were who were – playing a lot for us. So it's not just it's not just the, those guys. We have a couple others uh, as well. I think it's the environment overall in Muhlenberg. I talked to Mike Falk, our sports information director, 
And we have uh, basketball players. We've got soccer players. We've got twin brothers on the men's soccer team right now. Um, I think it's just the environment here uh, at Muhlenberg overall. Everybody is really welcoming the faculty, the staff. Uh, our administration does a great job. And when you have buy-in at that level, there, there's kind of a trickle-down effect. Um, um, I think parents ultimately as well, when you sit down in front of them and you have a plan for that young man and four years later it comes to fruition, uh, I think ultimately that they trust us and um, everybody here at Muhlenberg College, which goes uh, a really, really long way. So, Coach, uh, a year ago, uh, I remember sitting down or getting ready to sit down for Thanksgiving dinner, but turning on CBS Sports Network to watch uh, the Mike Donnelly uh, special uh, documentary they put together, which was really touching and really well done, I thought. Yeah. Uh, obviously people know you had a good relationship with him uh, to say the least uh, enough that the school wanted you to succeed him which was probably one of the greatest of honors that anybody could ask for in the coaching ranks not just because it's Muhlenberg but be because of what it represented at the end of the day how much of Mike Donnelly's touch is still with this team right now and how would he be feeling right now if he was uh, watching this uh, on earth with you I'm sure he's watching it from somewhere else right now uh, up uh, up on high but uh, what would his reaction be about the quarterfinal berth and about even the fact that hey Mount Union is gone from this side of the bracket somebody on this side besides the name Mount Union is going to be going to Shenandoah, Texas, and it could be your team. What would he be thinking? What are you thinking about that, in fact? It certainly was awesome, and we had a great connection this week. Um, Coach Donnelly's son, Brendan, uh, was at our football game on and, um and so that was just awesome for, for him to be here for Thanksgiving week. And um, just to, to see him and know how much that they still support Muhlenberg College and the football program, um, even though Duke has passed, uh, was just outstanding. I think that says everything about the Division Three landscape, where, again, we talk about my wife making dinner for the staff, and, and obviously Coach Donnelly's son is here. And I think you'll find that almost across the board, uh, where you have these just tremendous buy-ins from these families. It certainly was an honor, certainly still is an honor, and his landmark and his stamp is still all over this program. The, the tenants of our program dig in, championship climb, one heartbeat are his, and I've said it a couple of times, but when when I took over the job here, our entire staff met with every single one of our players and asked them what that meant, because we just didn't want to carry things on because they were working. We wanted to carry them on because it meant something to our players, and that it was a rallying cry for our team and they could define it for one another. They could define it for a recruit when that young man shows up to our campus. They could talk about those things. And then obviously philosophically about playing our best players on defense, there's no question about it. Um, that's been a recipe for six success here at Muhlenberg. So why would we change that? Um, I said in my initial press conference, um, the foundation is really, really strong under Coach Donnelly. If you're looking at it as a house, maybe we'll paint the house, um, but we're certainly not changing the foundation or, or the look of it uh, at all. Yep. And so, Coach, the, one of the things I think that's going to be an interesting challenge for you going into this uh, weekend's game is the fact that 
you know, here you guys are on the road as the quote unquote underdogs. And yet uh, you have an undefeated record, just like Salisbury. Your national ranking is higher than Salisbury. And there will be some national media folks um, not talking about anybody who might be on the screen right now who might actually say that you guys are the favorites in this game. Um, Centennial has had a, an epic run these last couple of seasons. Um, some of the highest point you know, outputs we've seen in, in a while. The teams are playing great in the postseason, sweeping, um, you know, bowl games and, you know, dropping 88 points, something that Frank remembers dearly, can still taste the paper, I think, um, you know. So you, you guys, have, you play in one of the toughest conferences in the, I'll say the broader East. I know they, they, the NCAA has you as a, as a South region team, but, you know, you're still – I've been to Allentown, Pennsylvania. I've, I played catch on the old Muhlenberg grass field with my dad. That's an East Coast school, okay? Uh, so, <laughs> but, I mean, how do, you, how do you talk to these guys about, all right, well, we might be the favorites, but we're the road team. We might be the underdogs. You just kind of throw that out and say, hey, you know what, we're just going to go play football and see what happens. Yeah, I couldn't tell you. We are <laughs> internally motivated every single week. Um, we just look at ourselves in the mirror and ask if we had a good enough practice today to move on. And um, we think that the battle will be won before Saturday. Either Salisbury is going to work harder than us or we're going to work harder than them. And if, if they're better than us, then we'll shake their end of the game and know that we gave it everything we had. And if we're better than them, we'll do the same thing. Um, I, I don't know, you know, the NCAA is splitting hairs, you know, when it's coming down to opponents, opponents, win percentage, and all those types of things that are, are they're really, really hard, you know, when, when two teams are undefeated, they played really good schedules, um, you probably could flip a coin, and, and again, uh, I don't think it really matters where we play, uh, I think, Salisbury shows up here, and I bet they still run the triple really, really good here in Allentown, just like they're going to run it down there in Salisbury, Maryland. Um, and so I don't think it would make a big difference um, in one way or the other where we play or who's the favorite. Uh, I think it's going to be two really good teams, and we won't, we won't even mention that. I spent way too much time on this answer. You guys are trying to bait me into stuff, I think. Coach, uh, we've never had you on the show before. We'll, we will give you a chance for shout-outs, even though we normally save it for player guests. Uh, for coaches, we don't usually uh, cross paths with uh, on the show. I want to give you the opportunity, and uh, I'm going to go find that sign uh, from uh, Seneca, New York, it's, uh, or uh, Geneva, New York, and the uh, Lake Trout and James Baker. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find that sign, I, I swear to you, so that we can uh, post it on here. But, yeah, go ahead with the shout-outs. Of course. The, the two first and foremost – are going to be my boys, uh, Matthew and Nicholas. Um, they yelled at me last time I did an interview, and I didn't mention their name, so they were disappointed. <laughs> and then my, my three-year-old Nicholas, uh, after the game, came over and tackled me as I was doing uh, one of the interviews here uh, on TV in Allentown. He came over and tackled me. And so if I don't mention them, I, I won't be able to walk in the door. Obviously, my wife, Kristen, who is the best, um, my father, Rocky, and James Town, New York, my brother, Jesse, and my sister, Kara, and uh, everybody back in, uh, in James Town, New York. You said Kristen was your wife, uh, correct? Yep. What, what, what does she make that the coaches are always like, hey, could you tell her to make that again? Uh, what's, what's the specialty? Sure. So last week, we've had it a couple of times, and it's only when the weather gets cold uh, but my wife makes a, a really great chili. Um, she puts in 
Uh, there's a couple of special ingredients that she puts in there that she doesn't tell anybody. Uh, so tonight, next, this, week, this week will be Taco Tuesday, which is also really, really popular. Um, but nothing is quite like chili, uh, chili night here in, in Allentown. Well, I'm going to call Mike Toop after this and tell him uh, what to expect uh, on Tuesday if he makes the trip uh, over to there. Hopefully the weather uh, would uh, hold up enough for him to make it over there. But uh, we'll, we'll see what we can do uh, to create this. I, I do know of some coaches calling coaches uh, situations going on during this play these playoffs. We're not going to mention names or anything like that, but this is not unusual. In fact, I would call very savvy by the coaches that are doing it uh, ultimately. Oh, yeah. uh, it hasn't always worked. Uh, I can also confirm that, but it, it is what it is. Coach, we love the story at Muhlenberg. Um, obviously, we hate the loss that uh, we all felt uh, with Coach Donnelly passing, but you've done such a tremendous job uh, you know, in his uh, footsteps here, basically. Just keep doing what you're doing, and thanks so much for what you bring to college football, especially Division Three. and uh, we will see you possibly down the road. Perhaps in Shenandoah, Texas. Who knows? We appreciate everything that you guys do. Uh, I said to JB uh, in the email, you know, anybody who's, who's willing to go out there and talk Division three football and put, whether it's Muhlenberg or somebody else on the map, uh, and take your guys' time out of the day, uh, we certainly appreciate it. And I know so do all the other coaches who appear on the show. So thank you guys so much. Thank you. Okay, Nate Milne. Enjoyed him a lot. Uh, first time I actually got a chance to talk with him in depth. I know you've always viewed him as a character uh, out there, and he, uh, he proved that uh, definitely. Uh, Our guys uh, always are, Frank. Come on, you know. If you, you know, if you want his phone number, together. if you want his phone number uh, for giving him option tips, uh, contact JB. JB's got that for you. Uh, but nonetheless, he's definitely looking at film. Yeah, exactly. He's definitely looking at film. He's definitely trying to get this down because look defensively that's their advantage right now we said about plus 36 in that whole column but with a triple option if they're able to get 400 yards on them to, uh, on Saturday then all bets are off to a certain degree because that means Salisbury scoring at some point in multiple times most likely this is the toughest game for me to really wrap my arms around because of that x factor because it seems like Muhlenberg has not had the biggest of challenges in the playoffs, and with all due respect to Brockport, the one-dimensional nature of them gave a team like Muhlenberg, I think, a pretty easy time to figure out what to do in that game. So, Well, here's a stat for you, Frank. So we have on one side Salisbury, and they've scored 144 points on offense so far in these first two playoff games, and you have... Muhlenberg's defense has allowed zero. Um, something's got to give there. And for me, what stands out primarily is the fact you know, Hatanowski with the 42 passing touchdowns, averaging close to 275 yards per game. And on the flip side, the Salisbury defense uh, allowing over uh, 213 yards per game. I mean, uh, Will Bellamy certainly had uh, success against them, uh, throwing the ball, setting a school record with, I think, about 456 and and five touchdowns or something like that. Um, so certainly the Salisbury defense can be scored upon. The question is, is can this Muhlenberg defense stop the, the running slash option attack of uh, Lanham and company? Uh, it's going to be one of those, uh, you know, movable force, you know, whatever object the thing is, like <laughs> they never get right. But, um, yeah, 
there these teams are almost polar opposites in in many ways and so it'll be interesting to see uh, who comes out on top I'm trying to uh, get this. One thing I'm going to tell you, it's Nekowski. The H is silent. So uh, we're going to uh, try to get that right. Nekowski. Uh, and uh, let's see. The immovable force paradox is the unstoppable force, also called the irresistible force. force paradox, shield and spear paradox. What happens when an unstoppable force meets an immovable object? And so there you go. You learn something every day. Uh, we're going to predict these games on uh, Friday, but tell me this at least give me a little preview you you heard the little bit of problem i'm having with this game because it, it really is not clear who's going to be able to break through what aspect of the game is going to be able to break through if you had to give me an edge right now one way or the other in your thinking do you think salisbury's offense or muhlenberg's defense is going to probably rule the day more mm-hmm. well See, that, I guess I, that's what I mean. That I've, I've, I've underestimated the, the Centennial Conference for most of the season. I'm going to say I'm, I'm going to go with the Muhlenberg. I think the Muhlenberg defense is going to be the difference, uh, potentially. Uh, I, you know, the one know. of the challenges with running the running this you know, spread option is that there are tendency, tendencies for turnovers. And if you give Natowski some short fields, could get you know if they get a little lead and they can they can pin their ears back defensively, and we'll see. Um, I mean, all the home teams should be the favorites, I think, in these games just based on you know, the locations and the and the seeds and all that type of thing. But if there was going to be a round one or round one, a round three upset in this case, um, and it's ironic, it's not even you know, we we asked Coach Milne about this. I mean, technically in the you know, the, the national poll rankings, Muhlenberg is supposed to be the favorite. They're ranked higher than Salisbury. But as you've seen firsthand, Salisbury is tough to, to beat at home. Um, they play a, a very high-octane brand of football that can put up a lot of points real fast. I don't know if Muhlenberg can keep up, um, you know, toe-to-toe with them, score for score. Uh, so it's really going to be up to their defense to try to rein things in and make this more of a 30-something to 30-something type of game and not let the, the points just start to, to go crazy like we saw against Union. Now, with respect to possible hosts, uh, let's uh, clarify here. There are eight teams left, but we think there are only five potential hosts for the semifinals. Uh, Mary Harden Baylor is a one seed. Wheaton is a one seed. And uh, we believe Whitewater is probably the best remaining seed out of uh, what's over there. Let's say both number ones got beaten, and it was St. John's and Whitewater. I would believe that Whitewater would be hosting in that situation. On the right side, I would believe Salisbury and Muhlenberg rule the roost with what's left on the bottom quadrant uh, in terms of what seedings are in those situations. Now, we can't say that for sure because we don't know if they're going to remeasure things. We don't really know what they're what the hell they're doing uh, on those Sunday calls <laughs> to determine these things. Again, release the seeds. Make the seeds, release the seeds uh, with the brackets. It's the only practical thing to do. This is the only sporting event I know of or any other NCAA uh, bracketed event, I guess, that does this in Division Three. It doesn't include the seeds. No matter how bad they look. I can't say it enough times, NCAA, it's time. Okay? These are stupid discussions to have during the playoffs. 
The playoffs should be basically yeah. selling themselves. The only time this question should come up is when it's one versus one on the same side going into the semifinal. And then even even then, it's, there should be some predetermination on what which one is the better one so that we publicly know what's what. But again, we think that the limitation of who can host is down to Mary Harden Baylor, Wheaton, Whitewater on one side, and Salisbury, Muhlenberg on the other side of the bracket. Now again... Yep. I'll be proven wrong in a week, and then uh, we'll have to have another, you know, lambasting scenario at the front of the show or something. I don't know. But that's where we are. We will have our prediction show on Friday uh, around 11 a.m. again. So tune in for that. We will predict these four games. I think you are beyond catching at this point. Uh, So I'm really in trouble. Uh, Luckily, we didn't have any bets on this whole prediction thing. So I, I don't know what it means in the end. Thanks to the uh, families uh, that have been reaching out to us from Union, among other schools, uh, to thank us for the work we've done. Remember, we've got off-season shows coming up uh, later on in January, especially uh, in JB's Kitchen, we usually call it. Uh, so stay tuned. Follow us. Stay watching the show. You're going to learn stuff because maybe next year your team will be in this position and there you go. We have no bedtime stories for you, Olive Pat Coleman, but uh, we do have uh, a lot more coverage to come over the next two weeks. Stay tuned here on In the Huddle.